Welcome to episode 38 of Stick to Football. I'm your host, Connor Rogers. No Matt this week. Matt is out sick, so I will be driving the beginning of the show, but we do have a pretty loaded show for you guys. Matt got to talk to Deion Sanders earlier in the week, so we'll have that for you. Kennedy will be joining me later to answer all your draft-on-draft questions, but as always, going to take you around the league. A lot going on right now, and I think the most interesting is something that happened earlier in the week is Josh Rosen again coming out in the media and kind of of seems to be avoiding going to Cleveland, at least. He's not directly saying that, but Rosen is saying he would rather slip in the draft a little bit instead of being a high pick going to a bad situation, which if you look at the draft order, the Browns will be picking first overall. That is solidified. It seems like the Giants will be at least picking in the top three, and it's no secret that I think Rosen kind of prefers the Giants as their as the destination there. So I think that's a situation to keep an eye on. It's it's very interesting going forward to see how if Rosen can really pull what most people are calling an Eli Manning or a John Elway situation where he drives his destination rather than just going where he goes. And it's also interesting to follow if that he really is the number one pick in this class. I think that hasn't been brought up enough. I, I think when you look at it, the question is, Will Sam Darnold declare? And where is Sam Darnold's stock right now? Is he still the guy that is the the early favorite to go number one? Or has Rosen done enough, even not playing in the bowl game, sitting out with the concussion? Is he going to go number one? It seems like it's a year where it'll be very quarterback heavy along the top, which you can argue does hurt Rosen's you know leverage here in the situation. But at the same time, he might like the fact that there are quarterbacks that could go ahead of him because it does seem like to me, you know, following a report that Adam Schefter had out that he kind of prefers to stay away from the Browns and seems to want to drive his situation. So that's another thing to really keep an eye on. Uh, I do want to go through some of the bowl performances here and make some CFB playoff round one predictions, but over to the NFL, some other interesting news this week. I think the Bruce Arians situation, a report came out that Arians will part ways from Arizona after this year, and then there was conflicting reports that that's not confirmed yet, You know that the team hasn't made a decision or that Arians hasn't made this decision. So conflicting reports there, but if you've been a listener of the show now dating back to summer, something me and Matt have talked about when we talk about head coaching vacancies is – Arizona has been a potential job that could be available after this year. This is going all the way back to summer because we don't know the future of Bruce Arians, not only in Arizona, but in the league as a whole. He's one of the older coaches in the league right now. Um, You know, I don't there's speculative concerns around his health, but nothing confirmed there. He is 65 years old. He will turn 66 early on next season. So it's kind of interesting because it's a matter of nobody really knows what to believe here, but I want to get on my gut instincts and what I'm hearing with this. I do think the Bruce Arians era will be ending after week 17, or at least that'll come on later down the season, down the road of this off season. I don't think he'll be with Arizona next year. And I don't think it's an Arizona problem. I think it's a matter of Bruce Arians will be at least taking a year off from the NFL and, it makes the the coaching searches that much more interesting because you have to ask yourself, what kind of situation is Arizona right now? You're looking across the league right now where coaching vacancies could lie. Obviously, the New York Giants are one of the top destinations. We could see maybe a job like Tennessee Titans open up. I think both those teams we've talked about in the past would be very, very possible destinations for New England's Josh McDaniels. I, I think McDaniels' relationship with the Tennessee front office comes to mind and having Marcus Mariota there who definitely needs the help right now. I think the New York Giants, the stability of their ownership and just the prestige of the franchise always helps pull in big time head coaching candidates. And then now going over to, it definitely seems like Arizona could be up there. We don't know what's going to happen with the Cleveland Browns. They've come out and said that Hugh Jackson will be their coach. We've heard people come out and say a lot of these things in the past. And you know, how true is that going to hold? Well, Cincinnati truly be interested in bringing back Hugh Jackson and would they pay a price to bring him in as their head coach because obviously Cincinnati's another location that they will be looking for their next head coach what will happen in New York with the New York Jets not the Giants is Todd Bowles going to stay I think the team has overachieved this year and I think it's 
one of those things where, yes, they have overachieved. Yes, they have won way more games than anyone ever expected. But when it comes down to it, there's still a lot of problems with this team in-game management-wise and roster management-wise and the, you know, the poor usage of timeouts, the lack of discipline. How big of a jump has Bulls made in year number three, and how will that factor into the decision under the technically new owner? You know, it's still the team is still owned by Woody Johnson, but he has passed on ownership duties to his brother Chris. Will they want to make a coaching change in this time of so much different change going on at the top? Will be something to follow. My gut is that the New York Jets do not make a coaching change. I do think Bulls will get a minor extension, and. Uh, you know, you're looking at back to the key point, though, here with Arizona. It's just it's interesting to see them come back into the fold and looking for a coach because this is a team that will now have a lot more questions when you lose Arians. It's you're losing so much at the top that it kind of trickles down. Will Larry Fitzgerald stick around for another year while this team is going through so many changes or will he finally retire? What, you know, will Carson Palmer be back? I think this is a team that has to invest heavily into the quarterback position sooner rather than later. But the question is, do they have the right draft position or draft capital to go make a move and get that guy? So a lot of changes coming to Arizona this offseason, just another team in the fold that will be going through head coaching changes, that will be going through significant roster changes, and that will once again enter this wild quarterback sweepstakes we're going to have this year. And moving on to a performance here that a guy that will be a key part of the quarterback sweepstakes, not through free agency, but through the draft, Josh Allen of Wyoming, a guy that we've talked about, a guy that's been on the podcast with us before it, you know, it's interesting. Allen had a really rough season after all of the spring and summer hype of potentially being the number one overall pick, you know, and you've heard it all six foot five, 240 pounds, athletic, cannon arm, everything you want out of a quarterback in terms of raw traits. And then you look at the on-field play. He's thrown, he's completed under 57% of his passes in both his seasons as a full-time starter in Wyoming. And at some point, you have to wonder, is this all going to translate on the football field? Allen sat out, you know, since November after hurting his shoulder after a very tough start to the season. You know, a disappointing start against Iowa in a 24-3 loss where the offense could not get much going. And it seems like every time Allen was in the national spotlight, two weeks later against Oregon, completing 9 of 24 passes, that's 37%. No touchdowns and a pick. Yet again, playing bigger programs and struggling before the injury. Sits out a couple games, comes back for the bowl game against Central Michigan, and they win 37-14 to 14 in the first quarter where he threw for three touchdowns. He only threw for 154 yards the entire game, but came out, looked more accurate than he had been, looked healthy, was climbing through the pocket, was making big throws. And now it comes down to, is the hype train, you know, reignited for Josh Allen? I I think the answer is no. I think you should always, there should always be a buyer beware, you know, label when you're talking about bowl season. And this is the perfect example to me. A bowl game does not make up for two years of film. Now, will that change the NFL's perspective? You know, can he gain more momentum if he does eventually declare, accept an invite to the senior bowl, assuming he can get his graduate credits? Does he have a good combine? How does he interview? The NFL is clearly looking for reasons to make Josh Allen a first-round pick, maybe a top-20 pick, maybe a top-15 pick. This was the start of that process of getting back to that. Now, I will sit here and say, if Josh Allen ends up being a successful NFL quarterback, it will be one of the bigger outliers at the position in draft history. Because you go across the board, and one thing that you really can't bet on getting better, no matter who the coach is, no matter what mentor you bring in, no matter what supporting cast you put around him, asking for an accuracy jump when you're you are what you are. You, you really are what it says you are. You're a 56% passer. Is that going to climb to what really needs to be in the 63, 62% range in the NFL, where everything gets that much faster? The windows get tighter. The pressure is way tougher from the front seven. What you're asked to see and do is so much harder. So it's just a buyer beware label. And it, it, it I hate to be 
the negative Nancy in the room here on the Josh Allen situation. This is something that me and Matt go back and forth on all the time. This is a guy that Matt, you know, understandably had very high hopes for over summer and said he has all the talent to be a number one pick, but we have to see it on the field. And it just hasn't translated there. And one first quarter of a bowl game does not change two years of film for me. So when you're looking at the quarterback situation is lining up in the draft, it's getting very interesting because we're still waiting for it to be official for everyone to essentially declare. But Rosen, I know he had the concussion, but, you know, being on pads and warming up on the field, he seemed, it looked healthy before the bowl game, didn't play. I I think it's safe to say Josh Rosen's going to declare no matter where he wants to go or doesn't want to go. My gut feeling is that Sam Darnold declares too because it's very hard to pass up being a bona fide top three pick. Very hard. Josh Allen, Obviously, he's one of the rare guys that he's going. He's officially declared. He's packing his bags this year for real, not changing his mind at midnight like last year, and he's going to the NFL. What's going to happen with Lamar Jackson? We've talked about it many times. The NFL is, you know, a lot of different guys are saying, hey, he's probably going to slide to day two, but this is a guy that's going to test off the charts and another guy that could really climb into that round one, round one range. And you know Baker Mayfield's already there. So the quarterback sweepstakes is on. There's so many head coaching, you know, spots open. And when you get a new head coach, it becomes very interesting because oftentimes front offices tie a quarterback to them. It gives them the best chance to succeed. It gives them a guy that really builds the identity of the team. It gives them a fair chance because you're not consistently attaching bridge quarterbacks to them. Guys that just kind of get you by until you find the guy. They're usually very proactive right away in getting their guy. So it's going to be wild. And we're getting really closer here as we're entering the final week of the NFL season. We're getting that much closer to what's I truly believe is going to be one of the most hectic off seasons we've had in, in quite some time. And, you know, moving on though, to another bowl performance, a guy that every time you turn on the TV and you get to watch him in the national spotlight, he shines. And every time you hear him talking about his draft stock, It's all over the place. Rashad Penny from San Diego State playing against Army. And and listen, you hear Army and you think, oh, it's Army. But, you know, Army had a very solid year and had some really tough players up in that front seven on defense. Rashad Penny, 221 rushing yards on 14 attempts. That's almost 16 yards per carry with four touchdowns. And the four games before this, he went over 200 yards in every single game. You're talking about... You know, a five foot eleven, two hundred twenty pound back that is really just really carrying the workload for his team. And yes, the, there's inflated stats there playing at San Diego State. We've seen it in the past in this program. Danell Pumphrey was you know half Penny's size and just had insane stats. But Penny is just consistently proving doubters wrong. He, I'm not saying he belongs in the Saquon Barkley and Darius guys. You know, maybe not even Ronald Jones area of this draft but I think he's going to go top 60 or he should go top 60 and you have a guy that has shown he he's not you know an elite pass catcher but he can catch the ball but you're talking about an inside outside runner that is pro ready a senior and an excellent punt returner or kick returner that's another big time bowl performance for a guy that didn't have to play to be honest with you a guy that really, he didn't have to play. I believe he's confirmed for Mobile, Alabama. He's going to go through all the workouts. He's doing all the right things to show that he belongs in that in that round two conversation. And I, it seems like as we get closer and closer to the draft, he's going to keep climbing his way there. So it, it's been a really good year for Rashad Penny, a guy that's really grasped the starting role. As a backup last year, he went over, he went over 1,000 yards behind Pumphrey. But this year, he's really had... His first year of over 150 carries, he went, almost hit 300 this year and just really ripped it up, averaging 7.8 yards per carry for over 2,200 yards. So another guy to truly keep an eye on, just a gigantic season. Moving on to the college football playoff, because this is the last time that we'll get to, t- you know, we'll get to talk to you guys before the games go down. It's, it's prospect mania in the playoff, and obviously the matchups are great. Oklahoma, Georgia, Clemson, Alabama. You can't ask for much more with the college football playoff this year. And if you're a fan of the draft, it really doesn't get much better than this because you have 
so many prospects playing, even the underclassmen, because it's for a national championship. These guys are not going to sit out the game. And I think the one that is understandably getting talked about the most is the Rose Bowl, which is Georgia-Oklahoma. You have the Heisman Trophy winner in Baker Mayfield, a once afterthought as a prospect, a guy that was, you know, oh, he's a, he's a college quarterback. He's five foot eleven, small hands. You know, can he work through the pocket and make the throws? And now this he returns for his senior year, comes back, not only wins a Heisman Trophy, but has solidified himself as a top ten pick. It's as simple as that. Baker Mayfield has solidified himself as a top ten pick. He's made throws in the pocket. He has, you know, he can escape. He can extend plays. He has a way bigger arm than people realize. And around him in this game is what's so fascinating is that there's so much NFL talent. And he he did get to play NFL talent this year. He shredded an Ohio State defense. He obviously, you know, the Big 12 is the Big 12 in terms of, of playing defenses. But at the end of the day, he's gotten it done when it matters most. This is yet another big test, though, because when you look at the Georgia front seven, they have arguably the best defensive player in the country. I, I would say Rokon Smith, their off-ball linebacker, is neck and neck with Bradley Chubb for the best defensive football player or best defensive prospect, I should say, in the country right now. But you look next to him and Lorenzo Carter, outside linebacker who can create a ton of pressure, set an edge. We see it every year with Georgia. We saw it, you know, they had Jordan Jenkins and Leonard Floyd on the same team. Now they have a front seven that has three draftable prospects. Roquan Smith, who's going to be a first-round guy. Lorenzo Carter, who's probably going to be a second-round guy. Davin Bellamy, who's probably going to be a, you know an early day three guy. Three linebackers in the same front seven that Baker Mayfield will have to face. And that's a hell of a test for him. On the other side of the ball for Georgia is where it gets really fun and where I think the difference in this game is made. This is where the prediction comes true. I don't think that Oklahoma defense can stop the Georgia rushing attack. The three-headed monster of Chubb, Michelle, and Swift. Chubb and Michelle obviously being the two guys, senior running backs, that will move on to the NFL after this year. I think that three-headed monster is what will cost Oklahoma their title hopes, will cost the Heisman Trophy Baker Mayfield the title hopes, and I just I think it's the difference in this game. I think it'll be a high-scoring game. I think when you have a an offense like Oklahoma, they're always going to put up points. But I think Georgia can limit them being on the field enough with this rushing attack. They know how to rotate the backs. I think Sony, when you look at the draft-eligible guys, Nick Chubb is, has had a fantastic career, an incredible bounce back from injury. But when you look at their NFL projection, it's hard to sit here and say, at least for me, that Sony Michelle is not the better prospect right now. I think he can do so many different things for you. I think he runs a lot harder than people give credit for because Chubb's the power guy, right? Michelle's more of your your lightning guy, but he breaks arm tackles consistently. He's got a for a, a shorter guy, he's got a thick frame. He's probably gonna play at about two I think he can get up to two twenty, truly. And I think he's got a really good outside burst and vision to excel, you know, whether it's outside zone whether it's as an inside runner, I think he could do so many different things for you. And Chubb's going to get his, too. I think Chubb's still going to be a fourth-round kind of guy. You know, maybe similar draft stock to what we saw with James Conner this year. He's just a power guy that you know you're going to rotate in and out. He might not ever be your feature back or a guy that's going to give you that explosive element in an offense to break off these gigantic plays. But you need a guy that can wear down a defense time and time. You see it with the Philadelphia Eagles right now. The Eagles come out and run this three-headed attack, and they have to now because they're missing their superstar quarterback. They run this three-headed attack similar to what, you know, Georgia wants to do where they got Jay Jaye, who's really just a do-it-all back, LeGarrette Blount, who's your power guy, and Clement, who comes in on third downs and gives them a little more burst and speed of speed element, and you know, as a pass catcher too, or outside runs and sweeps. So Georgia, when you, you look at it on the college level, I think almost, you know, they do it better in a sense, at least on the college level, but they have these three guys who are all going to play in the NFL one day. And like I said, I do think that's the difference in the game. I think Georgia wins this game probably about 31-24. I think it's going to be a really good game. I think looking over on the other side of the things at the Sugar Bowl, 
Alabama-Clemson, you know, we get a title rematch from last year. And once again, a ton of prospects, a lot of them being on the defensive side of the ball. I think, you know, with Alabama, they have a lot of NFL talent up front like they always do in the trenches. You got Deshaun Hand, you got Deron Payne. Uh, the linebacker Evans, you know, who has battled some injuries this year, but is is one of the top off-ball linebackers in this class. Micah Fitzpatrick, who I should have mentioned before, does belong in the conversation with Bradley Chubb and Roquan Smith as one of the best defensive prospects in this class. Minka will be a top eight pick this year. He's just, he's kind of your Jamal Adams this year. I think he's got probably a little more speed and a little less... Um, Trying to think how to how to describe it. I, I don't want to say power, but strength. I think Adams is a little bit of a stronger player, but I think with Minka, he's a little faster, so it kind of makes up the difference. Bottom line is, you're talking about a safety that's going to go in the top eight. That's a special player on and off the field for Minka Fitzpatrick. So, and then Alabama, it, you know, they do have Calvin Ridley is probably the premier offensive prospect. I would say in this one, I think he's going to be the first receiver off the board. I don't think he has the most upside necessarily. When you look at a Cortland Sutton kind of guy, he's the guy from you know SMU that can go up and be a touchdown machine. You, you look at him and you say, okay, he's got more upside. But with Calvin Ridley, you kind of know what you're getting. It, it's weird in a sense where Ridley to me this year is very similar to Corey Davis last year, but Ridley won't go fifth overall. Corey Davis was, was overdrafted. Uh, it was a weird class. The Titans feeling, felt a need to prioritize wide receiver. I think Ridley's a similar player in terms of just being a refined route runner, a smart player, pro-ready player. I think he's more healthy than Corey Davis, which helps. But at the end of the day, I just don't think the NFL will necessarily take a guy that probably rounds out as a number two wide receiver in the top 10 of the draft. I think he'll, he'll fall a little bit probably into the back end of the first round. Not, the, not a, receive, a star-talented receiver class as we've gone over before, but Ridley will probably be the first one to come off the board there. Looking on the other side of this game for Clemson, you know, they have a receiver of their own in Deion Kane that's kind of Mr. Big Play, and I think he's been hurt by the quarterback situation since Deshaun Watson left. When you, when you look at Deion Kane in terms of production, when he had Deshaun Watson, it's just a, simply a different player. In 2015 with Watson, he was averaging over 17 yards a catch. In 2016 with Watson, he averaged over 19 yards per catch. That is, a, that is a vertical threat that can stretch the field. This year, he had an uptick in receptions. He was up to 52 catches, which is 14 more than he ever had in a season. But his you know, yards per catch were only at under 13. So with Kane, it's interesting because if Kane was a guy that came out this season and had 1,000 yards and 10 touchdowns, people would be talking about him as the top receiver in this class. But... Like I said, he's had some games where he's disappeared, whether you think that's on him or not. And I think there'll be an NFL team that'll say, you know, similar to um, Rashad Perryman, what the Ravens did. And now Perryman was off the charts fast. And Kane is fast, but not that kind of fast. But you look at production, you say, this guy could do more for us than he did in college. I think that's going to happen to Kane. I think that's why Kane will end up being a top 50 pick. Because an NFL team will see him and say, hey, we can get more out of this guy than Clemson did in the last year. Or you could just go back to his track record with Watson and say, hey, we need a vertical, a vertical threat to stretch the field. It's as simple as that. There's only so many of them in each class. You, you can't teach speed. You can't coach up speed. It's either there or it's not. And to me, Kane definitely has it. So I think that is where the difference in this game can be found. I think that I do think Alabama wins this game but I think it's the harder game to predict out of the two because I think if you do utilize Kane to somehow get over the top of that Alabama defense which isn't easy with Minka Fitzpatrick back there and the front seven getting after the quarterback it's not easy that's how Clemson can win this game on the other hand I just think it's it's too much I think no matter how good we can go through the Clemson front seven for days here we're talking about the draft I mean when it comes down to it, though, I just truly think that Alabama's going to get healthy, and I think they're going to pull off the upset here. I think they'll. their biggest thing is they'll have to be able to run the ball, and the toughest part about that is you're, you're going up against maybe the best front four in the country. I mean, Clellan Farrell, edge prospect that's going to go top 50. Christian Wilkins, a guy that's probably going to go in the first round at D-tackle. 
Dexter Lawrence isn't even draft eligible. He might be one of the top three pick next year at D-tackle. He's one of the better D-tackles I've seen in quite some time. And Austin Bryant, who's really come in and, and been the player that Clemson was hoping for, you know, hoping for last year before he got hurt, but this year has been just really good. So here I am talking up how the Clemson roster on paper is probably better than this Alabama one in terms of you look at the NFL projection. But at the end of the day, I'm going to trust Nick Saban to get it done. I'm going to trust some of the veterans on the Alabama defense to do enough to limit a Clemson offense that I definitely think has question marks. Definitely has question marks since Deshaun Watson left. Understandably, one of the best players in the country, you lose him. It's it's not easy to find yourself back in the playoff, and Clemson has found a way, but I will take Alabama. So it's going to be amazing. It's going to be... Uh, you couldn't ask for a better playoff this year, and if you're a draft fan, you couldn't ask for a better playoff this year. I think that's the best breakdown to preview it. There's definitely more prospects in it, but you're talking about the guys that headline it that are in this class. There it is. So we're going to take a break. We're going to have an interview. Matt got to talk to Deion Sanders. Uh, plenty of good draft stories in this one, so hope you guys enjoy it. And then we'll be back to do Draft on Draft with Kennedy after this. <laughs> All right, guys, we are thrilled today to have on our first Hall of Fame guest, Mr. Deion Sanders, who was an amazing player, been a great analyst. And one of the biggest questions we got when we announced we were going to have you on, Deion, people wanted to know, how the heck do you still look so good, man? People want to know. Botox cosmetic. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I know that sounds strange and far-fetched, but that is the absolute truth. When you approach 50... And I've hit that threshold of 50. I wanted to be 50 and fine, 50 and 50, and just, just off the hook. And I wanted to be at my personal best. So that inserts Botox Cosmetics. They helped me to continue um, looking the way I look, the swag the way I have, just the, 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 the overall this outward appearance that says, you know what, this guy's prime time, baby. Now, one of the other things that we've heard about that, I need to get myself and my co-host hooked up on is the 21 days of prime. You got to fill us in, man. Uh, life changing stuff here, right? Well, it, it depends on what aspect. Um, when you talk about 21 days of prime, it's just a pretty much a, a mindset, uh, a, a way of life. It's to do right, live right, eat right, think right, uh, make the right decisions, um, conditioning, health, wellness, all of above. For 21 straight days, now that creates a habit. Anything you can consistently do for 21 straight days, it creates a habit. And that's what we want to create, the habit of changing your whole lifestyle and be productive for the entirety of the 21 days and thereafter. And it's guaranteed we're going to look like you after 21 days, right? That's part of the deal? Well, I don't know if you're going to look like (laughs) me because you got to eat right. Eating right right and uh, doing the necessary things for... To provoke change is, is very, very vital in this 21 days. Absolutely. I, I love it. So we're primarily an NFL draft podcast. And yeah, I'm I'm 30, I'm 34 years old. So I, I'm coming up in this business as a fan, watching you with the Falcons, doing with the Niners. And over the years, I've always heard these crazy stories about your pre-draft with the combine and things like that. So is it you have to tell me if this is a true story. The rumor I've always heard was that you're sitting in this room and the New York Giants are giving this test and they throw it on the desk and you raise your hand and said, excuse me, sir, what pick do you guys have? And they're like, we have pick number 10. And you say, I'm going to be gone way before then. And you get up and leave. Is that a true story? Yeah, it, 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 <laughs> it's a true story, but you got to understand there's a lie laced in every bit of truth in life. Those are the best stories. The ones that there's a little bit of lying yeah. in the truth. And I don't lie. So what happened is, Back in those days at the Combines, it really wasn't police like it is now. So the lobby was everything. There was every agent, scouts, teams, fans. It was everything engulfed in this lobby. And by the time you trying to get away from the crowds and rigor of, and monotonous of the Combine, I backed myself into this room. And I guess when I walked into this room, they thought I was coming in to to take this test and they handed me a test and I sat down because I was trying to be hospitable and polite. You don't know who's who. And 
I start looking around the room and start seeing everyone else taking this test with their heads down like it was the SAT or ACT. And I'm like, hey, man, what, what, what is this? So finally, i like, what is this? And, and, and the test was a thick test. I, it, it wasn't like a little two-sheet test. This test had some girth to it, like phone book-ish, like in, in, in encyclopedia-ish, you know, type thickness to it. And I said, excuse me, I don't mean to be rude, but uh, what pick do you guys have? And, and true statement. They said, I think we had a 10th pick. I said, oh, no, I'll be going long for there. And I got up and walked out. It, that was all honesty. That was that was a true story. <laughs> So they actually had the 18th pick. They took a center from Minnesota that I've never heard of. So it worked out. It worked out pretty well for you anyway. <laughs> I, I would say so. It worked, worked out pretty good. All right. The other, parties, hopefully. the other big story about you at the Combine was that you ran a 4-2-7 and were out of there. You were like, that's enough. That's good enough. I'm going home. I'm going to be a top five pick. The 427 is verified. You know, we have people who were there like Charlie Casterly. It says, yeah, you know, that's the time on it. Is that really the only thing you did? Because it was, you know, as before NFL Network, we didn't get to see what everyone was doing yeah. all week. Yeah, I was considered the, the, the top DB on the board. So it was really, you know, what am I there trying to prove? Not only the top DB, I had film to back up to substantiate what they saw, what they were going to see in a 40. You know, oftentimes at the combine, you have guys compete and compete trying to better themselves because what they put on film isn't sufficed enough. So I didn't need film to accompany what I was already projected to be. So I was really there for one thing. And uh, that was it. That, just to run the 40. That was it. It's so I different ran, now. And that was it. I mean, could you? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, like John Ross last year was hurt. So he ran the 40, you know, did his 4 2 2 and went home. But yeah, it's, it's so different now. Um, so the other. The other thing you are known for, I mean, outside of being, you know, a Hall of Fame player and a great return man, you were known as a Hall of Fame trash talker. So I, I have to ask, who is the best trash talker you ever went head to head with? Um, see, now that's the lie. Remember, I told you all good stories, yeah. a little bit of lying, every truth. That's the lying part. I, I never talked on the field. Really? Never, never once, never once in uh, in the professional rankings and I, I never did that I, I never disrespected my opponent i never went head to head talking junk on the field whatsoever i, I respected guys too much i respected their climb i respected their journey the only people i talked to um in, in a braggadocious type of way was the media but i never talked to my opponent you can't find an opponent i talked to that said yeah man prime told me i was this prime told me i was that you know it's been 20 some 30 years man you, you can't find that <laughs> Because it never happened. That's fascinating. Because yeah, the the perception is you were such a you know a, a great talker to the media that I think everyone just assumed it, yeah. it carried over. I, I talked to the media to substantiate uh, the, the marketing aspect. You know, I was my own marketing firm. I didn't never had a marketing firm. Never hired anybody outside to assist me with endorsements, anything like that. So I was my marketing firm. But I I never talked to my opponent. I never held the ball back in their face, never spiked it and tried to humiliate. Now I danced and high step because I did that as a kid, but never tried to belittle my opponent in any facet. So the one thing I, the only thing I can remember, like I said, I grew up, I watched, you know, I watched you from as long as I can remember football. When you were with the Niners, you picked off Jeff George and you stared that sideline down the whole way back when you, you took it back to oh, the end zone, yeah. but you didn't say yeah, anything. So I guess done. that counts. <laughs> Well, that had to be done. I, I, I told uh, Carmen Policy and Dwight Clark what was going to happen because, ironically, God showed it to me like a few nights before. I, I told them I was going to pick off a ball, run down the sideline, and look at it, and I was going to high step. I, I told them that because of during that week, my former teammates saw fit to, to talk negatively about that, and that offended me because I never said anything uh about them. I wasn't disgruntled when I left. I never wanted to leave Atlanta, but I would never belittle them publicly or privately. And uh, when they said those certain things about me, that kind of hurt. Just let your actions speak, right? <laughs> there you go. And they spoke. Yeah. They spoke volume. So wearing a, a 21 jersey, you know, for people who are my age, 
Like that was a big deal. Like if you were the kid who had a Dion jersey, and I can remember uh, eighth grade, that was all I wanted for Christmas was a, a twenty one Niners jersey, and so I, it Man, got I me. It got me thinking. What's that? I appreciate that. No, that, that, it's true. Know, I appreciate. And I don't take that for granted, man. I really appreciate it. No, you had a little white kid in Missouri wearing a do-rag under his helmet. So, obviously, it, it had reach. But what was your favorite jersey to wear? Because you had some great ones with FSU. The Cowboys jersey, obviously, yeah, was super Atlanta. clean. Atlanta. You know, Atlanta was your first, man. There's something about your first that always appeals to you. That that was the first team that decided they wanted me. They chose me. I chose them. And uh, your first goes a long way. And the, the black and white looks really good, too. So that helps. True. That helps. All right. Before we uh, – the, the last thing we do with all of our guests, we run them through the gauntlet. But we are on this podcast big about charity. And I wanted to ask you about the Prime 5 charity because I know you're doing a lot of really great things, which is always needed, but especially this time of year. So tell everybody how they can get involved. Well, you got to understand, I'm, I'm passionate about homelessness. I'm, I'm, I'm passionate about – um, employment. I'm, I'm, I'm passionate about, uh, drugs and alcohol re- rehabilitation. Um, uh, man, I'm, I'm passionate about so many things, especially single mothers, um, uh, so many things, education that we have this prime five initiative with this group called stand together. Um, and I'm hoping a multitude of nonprofits, in the Dallas area, and we're going to tackle all this stuff together. And we're elated. We're excited about what we're accomplishing. Even, even as of now, we've vetted a multitude of companies. We're going to bless them financially so they continue their, their plight, their climb to bring unity in our city, in our communities, and consequently the whole country. Uh, it's amazing. And people can go to prime5.org slash donate. Uh, if they want to get involved, great, great program that you have. And, and like I said before, people who listen to this weekly know, you know, how important these these things are to us. So we we definitely appreciate that you're you're making that happen. So, all right, now to the fun stuff. Uh, these are the same five questions we ask every guest. Things get a little competitive. So first question: What's your your go to like beer cocktail? Like when you're just kicking back, relaxing, what's your go to drink? Um, sweet iced tea. I've never tasted alcohol in my life. Are, is that right? That's that's amazing. I, I Good for lie. you. I do not lie. Never tasted alcohol, never been high, never smoked, drank anything in my life. Sweet iced tea is my beverage of choice. Yeah, especially if you're in the South. You cannot beat a sweet iced tea in the South. There you go. All right. If you had one superpower, what would it be? Um, It would be like a, a, a daily Santa. Like to really allow someone to fulfill their hopes and dreams and desires, not, not wants, but needs. I would want to fulfill needs, not wants. That's, that is by far the best answer we've we've gotten on that one. All right. Question number three, uh, what's the one game that none of your friends or or coworkers can beat you at? You know, like it might be Madden. It might be for you. It might be a, a race down the sidewalk. I don't know. Or, you know, cornhole FIFA. Fishing. That's a good one. Yeah. I'm an avid fisherman, and I can fish my butt off. What it, what's your go-to? What are you fishing for usually? My go-to bait is probably the Zoom pumpkin seed lizard. Uh, that's my go-to. Very nice. When, when, nothing, when nothing's hidden, I go to that Zoom <laughs> pumpkin seed lizard. <laughs> I have to check that out because I'm an awful fisherman. All right. If you're stranded on a deserted island, who is your one person that you want to be there with you? Jesus of Nazareth. You know him? <laughs> that sounds like a cheat code. I don't know. If... <laughs> yeah, that's it. I yeah. mean, that, that's it. We are like 50 guests in, and oh, no one has tried girl, that. Tracy, Tracy, Evans. Oh, Tracy Evans, my girlfriend. I want companionship. All right. Because if I'm on that island, it, it would hurt. It would be like a vacation. That's a good way to look at it. No one has tried Jesus on us, though. That's a good one. <laughs> you got Jesus. I'm, I'm going to get off that island. I'm straight. No joke. Uh, all right. Last question. And this is the one that we, we actually tally up the answers. Uh, my, my co-host is usually with me, Connor. We go back and forth on this. On a hot dog, do you put ketchup or mustard? Both. Oh, you gotta, it, but if you could only pick one. Oh, if I got to pick one, I got to pick ketchup. Man, I'm getting just killed in this thing. All right. 
apparently it's like a regional thing and where I'm from, it's just, I don't know. I'm losing every week on this. I've never seen anyone just eat mustard on a hot dog. I've never seen that. Yeah. We've been talking to a lot of like young guys from the South lately who say that they've never had mustard at all. Like they've never tasted it. Kind of like you said with alcohol, they're like, I don't even know what mustard tastes like. So I don't know. I I'm going to, I'm, that'd be my mission is to spread mustard to the South in the next year. Well, you should change it to peanut butter and jelly or ham and cheese. That, that's more of a regional type thing. Too. Th- there, that's true. That's a good question. Yeah. All right, Dion. Thanks for your time, man. We know you're you're busy with these. Uh, best of luck to you and your charity. Um, you guys are doing great things. Again, people can go to prime5.org uh, if they want to donate or just learn more about the program and how they can help. So happy holidays, man, and thank you for your time. I appreciate you, bud. Welcome back to episode 38 of Stick to Football. A big thank you to Deion Sanders for spending some time with Matt, telling some really cool stories. It was awesome having Prime on the show. And now it's great for me to be joined after an opening monologue of just me by myself for a half hour. Kennedy is kind enough to join me for some draft on draft. What's up, Kennedy? Hey, Connor. Okay, so (laughs) each week everybody wants to know how can you – how can they follow in your footsteps? And I know we've answered this before, but they kind of want to know about the books too. So Tyler Browning asked, what advice would you give to someone trying to follow in your footsteps? Yeah, it's really interesting because everyone kind of has their own path. I think that um, what what you have to do, I think some of the best advice that Matt always gives everyone is try to read and write something every day. I know that's a weird thing, but even if you just read a chapter of a book and write a different post every day, that really helps. The biggest thing to me is connections. I think the easiest way for me to explain it is to kind of tell my story of how I broke in. I went to Albany uh, in New York, in the capital of New York, and I studied business. And when I was coming out of school, I pretty much knew that I was either going to be working in, I was hoping to work in marketing to work on the creative side but those jobs aren't really handed out right away. So I, I came to the realization that I was probably going to be working sales or, um, you know, some kind of uh, financial career path. And basically push came to shove. I had a connection down the road. After I played in a, uh, a charity, a charity flag football tournament in the city. And one of the guys running it knew someone at Bleacher Report and said, hey, Bleacher Report's looking for an NFL researcher, you know, for the upcoming season. And I went through all the interview processes. I took a train down to New York, interviewed. I had three different interviews, a phoner, a Skype, and an in-person. Got the job, started in July 2014 after graduating May 2014. And it, it was definitely tough because I was still living at home upstate. So I used to commute five hours a day um, down to New York City. And obviously those are very long days with very little sleep, but you have to save some money. And, but it was worth it to me because while I left plenty of money on the table because I went from taking, you know, passing on a business career for a assistant research level position, I made connections. One of those connections is obviously Matt. We became good friends. I eventually became his producer. But I, I think that helped because of who I was able to learn from. I learned from so many different people at Bleach Report, whether it was video, audio, um, different, you know, different methods of producing content, different methods of writing and different methods of watching football, you know, hanging out with a lot of great people that work here, not just Matt, but also Chris Sims, Adam Lefko, Steven Nelson on the fantasy football side of things, Matt camp, uh, you know, just a lot of great people we work with. And then, you know, when you're talking about getting into a scouting career and making connections in the league, that's a whole nother, that's really event-based being at the senior bowl, being at the combine, covering different teams, being around different teams. I've covered the Jets at different times in my life, and I've met, you know, um, different people at bigger national events, whether it's area scouts at the Senior Bowl. Um, So there's a lot of different roads to it, but I would say my best piece of advice is if you really want it, you got to do everything in your path to get it. For me, that was traveling five hours a day, working nine to ten hours a day, so that left about four hours on the table to sleep. And with for not Uh for not a ton of money. But at the end of the day, four years later, I look at it and I wouldn't change it for the world because it was where I wanted to be. 
So you have to use those around you and you just really, truly have to utilize everything you can if it's truly what you want to do. Yeah, and you know, you're absolutely right about making connections. And for me, that's exactly what I did. I was 18 years old, and I'm still a person clearly trying to get into this business. But you're way ahead, though, compared to everyone else. I was like 15 years on Twitter, and I remember I got on Twitter one day, and he showed me that an internship was available. And I was 18, and on the thing it said, you have to apply once you're 21. But I said, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to apply anyways. So I went on there and I sent him a two, three page paper about why I thought I deserved the internship, even though I was only 18 years old. And I remember writing on there, oh, fake IDs work, right? Because <laughs> you had to be 21 was so that you could go to the senior bowl. And so I think for people who don't have connections, you have to make your own connections. And that's something that I did. And that's something that I'm still trying to do. You have to talk to as many people as possible. And you're going to get turned down. Like you're going to apply for internships that you're not going to get. And that's okay. But you still have to put yourself out there 24 seven. And that's, I think you make a great point. I think that's the thing people don't see is the, um, the rejection because I'm sitting here. I, I, sometimes people will be like, Oh, why is this? I'm, I just turned 26 recently. And they're like, why is this 26 year old, you know, on a podcast doing this? And I don't think they saw the failures. I, you know, I mean, I can't even tell you how many times when I was in college or yeah, I applied probably for every NFL team, different positions, like 50 times. I was willing to go anywhere, literally anywhere to work for an NFL team. And I never heard back once, not even a, Hey, maybe in the future or Hey, like I'm talking like free internships. I'm like not paid. I'm talking real careers for multiple teams across the league and multiple media outlets. And I finally broke through because I was literally doing a charity tournament and met somebody running it that knew someone at Bleacher Report and was like, Hey, we heard of this position and it's, and then you got to take it and run from there. That's the ticket in. That's not the ticket through. Like once you're in, there is so much competition to get your own platform to speak on. So you better be the fucking, as good as it gets, the fucking best at what you do. Because if when you're wrong, people will always make sure they point that out. And when you're right, most of the time people will not, which is fine. But that's why you have to be the best. And that's why you have to prepare yourself and have not only the right people around you, but the right resources around you to make it work. Mm Mm-hmm. All right. So Jer Smith this week asked, you talk about people rising during the senior bowl week, but are there any players whose stock took a hit during the week? Yeah, this is a funny one. So uh, before the show, he came in a little early today and uh, was prepping for and reading through these, which we usually don't, but sometimes me and Kennedy have to uh, push questions for the Friday show or the following week show. And we had so many because you guys have been so great to us that we did have to push a couple for next week. So if you don't hear your questions today, we will definitely get to it next week. And I was telling her a story. It's very rare to see somebody's stock drop at the Senior Bowl unless you just didn't expect certain things. If you thought a guy was way more athletic because you overprojected him than you see him in person, you're like, oh, he's kind of just a guy. That's different. One guy for me, and I, it's funny because I saw him live during the season, Amba Etatawa from Syracuse. Uh, I saw last year, I went to see him in person when Syracuse and Notre Dame played at MetLife Stadium, and he torched Notre Dame. I'll have to pull up the stat line, but I was like, this guy is an absolute monster in terms of just ripping them apart. And then you go down to Senior Bowl, and I'm and I'm not going to pretend. I do uh, radio up in Syracuse. Not I do it obviously via the phone because I live in New York City, but... I do radio. So they were really excited about Amba Etatawa's, you know, potential pro career. So they'd ask me about him all the time. And I was like, I actually have seen him in person. and I'm pretty impressed. He almost had 1,500 yards and he had 14 touchdowns for Syracuse that year. So obviously just an absolute huge year. And then we get down to the senior bowl and he literally can't catch. He, he just can't catch anything. And that Notre Dame game, he had seven catches, 134 yards and a touchdown. And we get down to the senior bowl and I knew he wasn't the quickest guy off the line. I knew he wasn't this, you know, superb athlete, but a a guy I thought that could turn into a possession guy at the next level as a fifth round pick. 
and we got down it's to yeah, we got down to Mobile, and he he just couldn't catch anything. It's interesting that that's literally the only person that you can think of. I mean, it kind of shows how much the Senior Bowl really impacts people positively and not negatively. The senior that's really the only guy you could think of. No doubt. The Senior Bowl does such a good job of building a community atmosphere. A lot of people have messaged me over the last couple of weeks asking, it that, like uh, our, our buddy Tyler that asked the first question of the show, how do you follow our footsteps? A lot of people have messaged me over the last week, hey, guys, should I go to the Senior Bowl? If I do invest in making the trip, would you guys spend a, mind spending a couple minutes with me to answer some questions? And I always say yes because, I mean, number one, I've been there before. Number two, make the trip because it's such a good community. Everybody talks to everybody, and I think they do a really good job of letting the players develop relationships not only with the teams that are there but the media that's there. And I think that helps because you're looking for, you know, the positives with these guys because – Let's be real. Majority of them aren't top 10 picks. The seniors, you know, it's a lot mostly underclassmen usually. Yeah. But that was this case where I legitimately felt bad because I thought he was a better player than what he showed that week. But uh, it, it was a rough senior bowl performance. And that it's you're right, Kennedy. That, it's weird that I can really only have one that notably comes to mind. Yeah. Colin Shea on Instagram asked, now that the Browns have solidified the first pick, would it be crazy if the Browns didn't pick a QB at number one? Yes, it would be absolutely insane. I don't think yeah. uh, Dorsey will make any gambles that Sashi Brown did. I think the franchise as a whole has positioned themselves where they have to take a quarterback number one because, let me put it like this, yes, the Browns might also be picking fourth overall thanks to the Houston Texans. You can't take any risk of missing your guy. You might have a Josh Rosen or a Sam Darnold or a Baker Mayfield as your fourth best player on the board. But if they're your top quarterback, that means they're going number one. Because you can't risk it. You can't risk missing them. So let's put it like this. If the Browns don't take a quarterback number one overall, I would be it would be the most shocked I've ever been in any draft. Now, say Josh Rosen doesn't declare because of the Browns what do you think about that I think they'll I think they'll take Sam Darnold I actually have a theory um that they will take Sam if Sam Darnold declares I think Sam Darnold will be the number one overall pick I don't think it would be Josh Rosen I don't necessarily agree with that but I think Dorsey okay knowing what I know here's a little insider buzz for you knowing what I know about how the league thinks and how um, old school evaluators think, and I would consider Dorsey kind of in that class. I think Dorsey will take Sam Darnold over Josh Rosen. I really do. You said it. Yep. You said it first. I did. <laughs> <laughs> take note, people. Sylvester Valderrama asked, if you could have draft Twitter understand one thing that they don't, what would it be? Character. Uh, I-, I think you... Something that's changed for me because I was somebody way on the outside looking in and evaluating players was so much harder when you know nothing about character. And I still don't get every guy's character or or evals or backgrounds, but it makes a difference. It really does. I think one guy that the perfect example of is that I always go back to is Justin Gilbert, who is a top 10 pick for the Browns. And, you know, everybody was like, this guy's an all-world talent. You look at Gilbert, you know, prototypical size for a defensive back, six foot, a little over 200 pounds. He ended up being the eighth overall pick. Um, He, you know, went to the, he was an All-American. He was an amazing return man. And he goes to the combine and he runs a 4-3-5. And he jumps through the roof. And he puts up 20 reps on the bench. Whatever. Who cares about the bench? But bench. But yeah, right. But Justin Gilbert hated football. And Justin Gilbert did not want to play football after getting paid. And Justin Gilbert did not want to prepare like a football player. And when you don't give a shit, I don't care how talented you are. You're not going to be good at anything. So that's one thing I wish when draft Twitter loves a guy and they die on a hill for him and the media might be like, you know, I think a good, here's a good recent example. Another one. I won't go as long on this is Malik McDowell. Everybody loved Malik McDowell, the football player. What's not to love. He was a freakish defensive lineman, 
Malik McDowell, I don't think hated football, but everybody that talked to anyone at Michigan State knew he didn't like to be coached, knew he didn't like to act like a professional off the field, and wasn't prepared to be in a men's league. And you take a prospect who was 20 years old when he was drafted, he turned 21 over the summer, and he he acts like a, he still acts like a child. The ATV incident that cost him his season is one thing. The, the recent arrest video, um, it, it's just another problem. And if Malik McDowell never plays it down in the NFL, I mean, I would just shrug my shoulders it's and say, fault. yeah, exactly. And we, we said this for so long, and people were like, well, you're wrong. He's great. I, I say, yes, he's great on the field. Would I invest a heavy pick in him as a person? No. And all he's doing is proving that to be true. So I think character is a big one. And I understand why the people do struggle to grasp it because it's when you can't access information, it's hard to to fully believe in it. But it, it's a big one. And I think as NFL organizations are, you know, finding out about all of this, you know, scandals that are coming out, like it is really important now that you, if you're drafting a guy, you want to pick a guy with great character. And somebody like Johnny Manziel, you know, they took, you know, they took a risk on him and it didn't go well. And I think that's like a huge thing now is that character is so important. And I wish draft Twitter would also just not tweet every two seconds right <laughs> after something. Reactions. Like, it's the most reactionary place on earth. Just, it really like, I is. I wish that. You know, right after a play happens, instead of right going right to your keyboard and tweeting something away, take a second and let everything play out. Because I feel like draft Twitter just makes all of these hot takes 24 that's where That's what it I is. That we didn't make so many hot takes. Yeah, well, and going back to the first question, because everything relates to that, you know, following in the footsteps question, I'll tell you what won't get you anywhere is just trying to be different for no reason. And that's yeah. what that's what hot takes are. So don't go that route. (laughs) Joel DeAndre Morris on Instagram asked, how do you go about grading a kicker and what's the best kicker prospect you've scouted? That's interesting. I will be transparent here. I've never been assigned to write up kickers. I thank God for that every day. Um, It's listen, going about grading a kicker. It to me is based on a couple different things. I think this is a big one where the mental aspect comes into mind so much because their mental makeup is just so important. I mean, look at Roberto Aguayo that was a second round pick two years ago and an absolute colossal failure in the NFL for the Bucks. Aguayo mentally was fried, absolutely fried after being one of the best college kickers of all time, I believe during Florida state's championship season. And so, so much of it is mental because physically what you see is what you get. A guy can either nail a 55 yard field goal or he can't. It's a matter of leg strength and obviously, you know, accuracy, of course. I mean, when you look at a guy like Adam Vinatieri, that's a a bajillion years old and still kicking productively in the (laughs) NFL, it, it goes back to just, you know, that's that's a guy that's just a different kind of guy. But it, when you're talking about scouting them, the physical aspects are easy because like I, it is truly one of those things on film, what you see is what you get. But in terms of the mental makeup, those combine interviews, I've, ta- I've actually talked to um, some execs and scouts about this, is they, they, they take the kicker interviews pretty seriously because I, I think it's just so different for them. It's really the time where you get to distinguish one from another because you you already you only see so much on the field. So when you do get the time to talk to them, I think that's a big one. And, you know, back to the end of his question, uh, you know, like I said, for the draft 400, we're right up 400 players and all the other projects I've worked on in scouting reports, I have not been assigned to write up kickers, but I think we'll have to have Matt give his all-time best kicker scouting <laughs> the scoutable player next time he's on the show. You know, I think that NFL execs and coaches take those interviews so, you know, so personally is that kickers kind of have the most mentally challenging part in the game. I mean, I know most kickers, if they don't make a kick, you know, in a NFL playoff game, like they get death threats. Oh, I mean, death honestly, threats. Every, they can't sleep. Lies on the kicker. Oh, yeah. It's really it's really messed up. Um, listen, I don't envy that job. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. I'd rather punt. Yeah. So Nick Galvin messaged 
picked a football on Instagram. And long story short, his dad got heart surgery. It was a really difficult time in his life. And he told me that the podcast really helped him get through it. Good news is his dad is great now. But I think it's awesome that he messaged us this. It's really cool to see a podcast impact somebody's life so much. But his question was, he wants to know the original intro song from the first couple of the episodes. He said the song was fire. That's awesome. And Nick, that's, um, we really appreciate you sending us that. It's, you know, it's just another reason why we continue to love doing the show. You guys have been so good to us. So the least we could do for you is give you a good show. And I'm, I'm glad your dad's doing well. That's really good to hear. You know, keep us updated on, you know, I'm glad that we helped you. We were just a little piece of getting you through that. It, it makes us feel really good. I know Matt would be really appreciative of that too. It's that's super special to us. Um, as for the song, I will have to go back and dig up what the name of it was deep, deep into the Slack archives between me, Matt and our producer. <laughs> Cause we changed it. I think two or three months okay. ago, I'll have to, I'll have to look that up. It's definitely some random, uh, like, you know, random generic track, but I'll get it for you. Sad Bucks fan on iTunes asked, who should the Bucks target in free agency? They have money to spend, so who would you spend money on? That's really interesting because when I look at the Bucks, I think they need offensive line help. And when it yeah. comes when it comes down to it, you look at the market right now and you say, well, you know, who's truly going to be available. I, I think it'll be interesting to see is Donovan Smith, the guy there, is there going to be a left tackle on the market that they can go get? Um, I mean, I listen, I think they, they're okay at the offensive skill player positions. And I, cause I think they could draft a running back. I think Jay, they're going to roll forward with Jameis Winston. Understandably. I, I totally get that. Um, you know, when you look at this tackle class though, cause this is a team, like I said, that really needs to build on the offensive line, you sit here and it's not pretty. I mean, it's just not pretty. Nate Solder is is you know sitting at the top as the currently highest paid guy that's expected to hit free agency. It's this is not the year to go solve your tackle woes. I think in free agency, I think when you look at the center class, there'll be some answers there with Weston Richburg and most notably Corey Lindsley from the Packers. I think he'll hit free agency, and I think he would be you know, a guy that you want to, you want to go out and get if you want to upgrade your center position. So I think when you look at the Bucks, I, I think when it comes down to it, they definitely could use some help in the secondary, maybe Malcolm Butler or Tremaine Johnson to temporarily plug the holes there. But going back to finding a way to fix this group in the trenches up front, I think they have to look at the draft and I think they seriously have to think about, they're going to be picking very high. It'll be interesting to see if they want to, take a guy like Quentin Nelson that high, who's the best offensive lineman in this class. I think he's going to work out and show teams he could play anywhere on the interior from left guard, right guard, and center. I think, listen, if the Bucks keep sliding back because James Winston is back and maybe win them this last game here, if they, if they slide back, it's totally justifiable to take maybe the best player in this draft in Quentin Nelson. Maybe you trade out and you look to take Mike McGlinchey, the left tackle from Notre Dame, maybe Connor Williams, the left tackle, uh, and right tackle from Texas. I think there's guys on day two. I think Billy Price is a guy from Ohio State that could play center and guard. So, you know, I, I know you asked a free agency question, but to me with the Bucks, the biggest need is offensive line, and I don't think you want to go into free agency looking to buy an offensive line this year out of all years, but I think their answers do lie within the draft, and I think if they do figure that out, this is a team that can really flip the switch with the right coaching hires, with the right draft, this is a team that can, you know, be competitive next year. It was a bad year. It was a bad coach year, a bad injury year, but this team is super talented. And if they, if they do fix those right pieces, they could be back in the hunt next year. Yeah. Jake Stillwell asked, who are the guys that will benefit the most and be big time risers? Thanks to the draft process, like the senior bowl combine and pro days. Yeah, that's a good one because there's a lot of different guys here. I, I think I, you know, in my opening monologue, I went on the rant that I think it's going to be Josh Allen, even though I don't think that's smart. Um, I think another guy that really could test well and has to interview well is Arden Key from LSU because off the field right now, everything sounds like a mess, and he wasn't very productive this year. And, and I think he's a guy that could have been a top 10 prospect easily. He has the talent to do it. But when you talk about all the off-field concerns, 
and a matter of just kind of being a one-trick pony on the outside speed rush this year, you want to see more. And those guys, we've seen it, and I don't want to make this comparison because he's not this guy, but we've seen Barkevius Mingo a couple of years ago go kill the combine, and just he was taken sixth overall by the Browns, of course. And (laughs) I think with Key, he's a guy that can really rise because – he has to. Sh- he has everything to lose and the most to prove. And, and when you talk about it, uh, you know he's going to test well. He's going to come in prepared. Can he interview well? Can he show NFL teams that he's not only, you know, he's not only committed to football, but that he's maybe a leader up front and a guy that could be a, pr- a primary pass rusher. So I think he's a big guy there. I think Lamar Jackson is a guy that just every time people doubt him, he proves them wrong. And I think Lamar Jackson is going to interview very well because I think Lamar Jackson is a leader. I think he's a freak athlete. I think he's got a better arm than people give him credit for. And I hope his workouts go really well because, you know, all this bullshit that he's going to be a third rounder or whatever it is that the, the league has currently graded on him, which is true. It's not, you know, they definitely do. I think it's he'll end up convincing a team to take him in the back end of the first round. So those are the three big ones. Of course, two of, two of them being quarterbacks. But, you know, when you look across the board, those are the guys really – and. I know he has partially the senior bowl. I think for Allen, that comes into play, assuming he goes. So those are the names you really want to highlight because they could be really all-or-nothing type prospects. Those are guys that can easily find their way into the top 10, or they could be on the outside looking in when round one concludes on Thursday night. Well, that was a great answer, Connor. And that's all I have for you for this week's Draft on Draft. Oh, well, thanks for joining me, Kennedy. It was nice to finally have some company. Uh, Happy holidays to you. Happy holidays to our lovely listeners. Appreciate you guys so much. We're going to be back next week. I'm hearing rumors. I am hearing rumors that uh, Connor Williams, one of the top offensive tackle prospects, might be joining us next week. So we'll see how that plays out. But yeah, so looking forward to a great episode 39. Thanks for joining us for episode 38. I will catch you guys next week.